0: I'm not going to stand up here and talk about my work. Uh, you've heard something about it. Uh, I want to really talk about my background and how I got to the point that I am at. But first, let me say a few things about the research. You know, many people ask me, of course, well, exactly why did, did you get awarded the Nobel Prize? Most of the lay public, 95%, don't understand the reasons why. Anyone gets a Nobel Prize. And so sometimes it's, it's difficult to explain that to them. But, uh, and, and I just kind of want, wanted to run that through you. I uh, essentially received the prize because my laboratory discovered back in the 80s a new chemical, a unique chemical in the body that works to prevent heart disease. It lowers the blood pressure when it's elevated, prevents stroke, prevents heart attack, and so on and so forth. And this was a, a, you know quite an exciting finding, although at the time I didn't quite uh, recognize what we had. Uh, I was always heavily funded to do my research from the NIH. That was my major source of funding. But when I started to fund this work at the beginning, they had some doubts about the feasibility of the work and where I was going to take this. But that quickly uh, came to an end. And so, In the 1980s, we published these exciting findings about nitric oxide. And a few years later, as a side project, I decided to look at what the neurotransmitter might be, the chemical that, when released from nerves, can stimulate erectile function. That was not my area of expertise. I'm not a urologist, but I just thought this was a possibility, a good possibility, that it might be nitric oxide. And so we did the experiments in 1992, and we made the observation that nitric oxide was the neurotransmitter. And so you might ask, well, who cares? I mean, why why is that important? Well, in 1990, there were no useful drugs, no drugs at all, to treat erectile dysfunction. So this work led to the eventual development and marketing of sildenafil, better known as Viagra. Uh, which has been very useful in treating uh, erectile dysfunction. And what's interesting is that we did this work in 92, published a paper in New England Journal of Medicine, and in 1998, that's six years later, Viagra was marketed. So that's pretty quick after an initial observation is published uh, in a journal. And what's interesting is that it was in March of 98, That the FDA announced the approval and marketing of Viagra. And just a few months later, in October, I learned that I had been awarded the Nobel Prize in medicine, physiology or medicine for nitric oxide. So I wondered, my goodness, is this this a coincidence? I mean, how related is this? So I decided to look up the committee members of the Nobel Committee for Physiology or Medicine. (laughs) and i found that the great majority were men over the age of 65 <laughs> it all makes sense so what is my background you know i'm very proud to tell you about my background my mom and dad were immigrants from italy my dad was born in naples my mom born in sicily despite that fact they got married They met in Brooklyn, New York, got married, and then I came along in 1941. Well, the point is that neither my mom nor my dad ever went to school, not even the first grade. No schooling whatsoever. I was the first person on either side of the family who ever went to grade school. And despite that handicap, believe me it was, I was able to climb to, I guess, the top of my profession. So, I mean, I think that's an important lesson, that your parents don't have to be doctors, lawyers, politicians, whatever, in order for you to be successful. I mean, you have to have the motivation and the drive and have all the qualities that uh, Bob Lefkowitz um, just uh, pointed out. But those early days were difficult because when I took, brought my homework home, my mom and dad couldn't help me with the homework. My dad could even speak English. And my mom could speak English, but she wasn't very good beyond additions and subtraction. She had trouble with multiplication and division. So, uh, you know, that's where I was coming from. She would go around the neighborhood, and she was not shy, she was an extrovert, kind of like me, and she would go out and find a neighbor who could help me with any particular problem that I had. And so that was all uh, very, very nice. So, I got interested in science when I was about 10 years old, uh, I was interested in chemistry for some reason. I had learned about chemicals. I mean, uh, everything was made of a different kind of chemical uh, that I had been reading at, at 10 years old. I convinced my parents to get me a chemistry set. I remember it was a Gilbert chemistry set. I don't think they make those anymore. And uh, my, I remember my mom saying to my father, Jack, don't get him a chemistry set. That, that's going to be too dangerous. <laughs> my dad goes, oh, no, no, we, we must get him a chemistry set. He is interested in doing things we don't understand, so let, let's not keep him from doing these things. Let's get him the chemistry set. Well, my mom was right. So I actually read these manuals. I was mixing chemicals. You know what turned me on? I'd mix one clear solution to another clear solution, it would turn blue. Wow. And then I would add more of the other chemical to this one, and it would turn red. This fascinated me. Or I'd add a clear solution to another clear solution, and out came a rock, like a precipitate. And I was just fascinated by this. And I actually did the experiments in the manual. But then they got boring. I think I was 11 years old by that time. And I decided we had to do something more advanced. My parents would never get me firecrackers. So I figured, well, then I got to make it myself. <laughs> but those chemicals were not in the chemistry set. I had to buy sodium nitrate, carbon, magnesium, a few other things. And, uh, but my friends had older brothers who either worked in a pharmacy or were pharmacists. And in those days, pharmacists actually did something. I mean, I shouldn't say it that way. Uh, They actually compounded the drugs with ingredients. So I got them to bring home some of the things I needed to make firecrackers. So I made my first firecracker. In those days, you could actually buy fuses, little paper things that have gunpowder inside. So I made the first firecracker. And I looked at it. I said, you know, this looks like it might be too large. So I didn't know what to do, so I was going to light it anyway. And I remember going into the basement, and I put it behind a dresser, which we had to store a lot of underwear and other clothes. I lit the fuse, and I ran behind the wall, and it blew that dresser to smithereens with the clothes (laughs) everywhere. My mother is screaming and screaming. She says, wait till your father gets home. My dad, by the way, was a carpenter, so he worked very hard every day, and then he would come home and expect to have dinner on the table. And he was kind of a tough, strong guy. All my friends called him Popeye. So uh, he came home. He looked at the dresser. He looked at everything. He looked at me. Didn't do a thing. And then I could hear him speaking to my mom in Italian, and my mom was just ripping into me, you know, talking to him, and he said, you know, let's leave him alone. Can't you see that he's a genius? (laughs) My dad did tell me, though, no more firecrackers. (laughs) So I switched to rocket fuel, and was very successful in that, but I'm not gonna bore you with those particular (laughs) stories. But, so I was interested in, in chemistry. I didn't understand the chemistry. But I was interested in it very much at that time. I was also interested in biology. I, I hope everybody has finished eating, because I have a very interesting story. So biology. I was always interested in what is inside us, um, you, you know, to, to, make us to, to make things work. Uh, how does your stomach work? How do your eyes work? How do your ears work? Uh, and, and so on. Um, and so I was very inquisitive but how do I look at the inside of a body? Well, I went outside and I looked for little animals that had just passed away and I remember getting a squirrel, bringing the squirrel back to my basement. It apparently had just passed on because, you know, you could tell I, I didn't kill it, I, I promise you. <laughs> and I dissected it open and, hmm, okay, is this different from a human? So I closed that up, quickly went to the library, took out a book on Gray's and human anatomy. And I opened it, I think I was 12 or 13 at the time, I opened up the anatomy book and there was a midline incision, you know, a cartoon kind of thing and shows you what's inside the body. And I compared it side by side to the squirrel and I found out, I could see it was remarkably similar. And I remember running to my mom and saying, look at this mom. You know, look how similar this is, forgetting that I had this squirrel there. So she gave me hell again. You know, wait till your father comes home. But that's how I got my interest in, interest in chemistry and, and biology. And as soon as I became a very young teenager, uh, much, I had much the same interest as, uh, as you heard from George Lucas. I got very interested in racing cars. Uh, I became a mechanic actually two years before I had my driver's license. I had nothing to work on, so I looked around and I joined an automobile club, racing club in Long Beach, Long Island, New York, where uh, they allowed me to work on the engines and I actually became a a decent mechanic. And then when I was old enough to drive, I actually raced some of the cars and and the club did very well. This was drag racing, National Hot Rod Association, where the cars go from a stop to uh, do a quarter mile and they're accelerating. I, uh, I really enjoy that. So I had to make a career choice. What am I gonna do? Is it gonna be chemistry? Or is it gonna be racing cars? I wanted to open up a high speed shop somewhere in New York. And I can tell you that my father made the decision for me. <laughs> and the rest is history. So what was the key to to my success. Well, I think there were many things. Uh, Number one, I was always very inquisitive as, as a young kid. I told you about the chemistry set and the squirrel experiment, and all of that's true. There's much more which I will not bore you with. But I was always fascinated, sometimes obsessed to the point where I could not fall asleep, thinking, how do we hear? What's inside there? To, to allow us to hear. I remember sticking a, a Q-tip into my ear to see how far it would go. <laughs> Please don't try that experiment. I hit my eardrum. My hearing is fine, but it sounded like a bomb went off in, in my head, and so I didn't understand that. I, I was always fascinated by, by the sense of sight. How do, we, how do we see? Also, tasting. Have you ever considered tasting I'm sure Thomas Keller has, <laughs> but uh, if you close your nose, you can't taste. You should try it. You can't taste. You have to have your nose open and your mouth tasting in, in order to taste food. I mean, that drove me bananas for many, many, many years. You know, why is that? I also had this I won't use the word passion, so how about a burning desire?) <clears throat> to ask questions to answer the questions and solve problems I lived in a neighborhood where for some reason there the, the, the m- many of the neighbors and my father's customers he was a carpenter he had customers died of heart attacks and strokes and so that fascinated me you know why why is this the case how come some people get a heart attack and other people do not Get a heart attack. So I was uh, always interested in in trying to understand this, and I to the point where I made this my career. When I was in high school, I already knew that I was going to get go into chemistry and biology, both, and that's rare. Most people go into chemistry or biology, not both. But well, you've heard from two of us now who actually you know done uh, done both, and in high school. What prompted me to, to continue to have that motivation and desire to go learn more about chemistry was a visitor we had when I was a junior in high school. I went to a pretty decent high school in New York, uh, Long Beach High School uh, on, on the island, on Long Island. And we did not have any chemistry course way back then in high school. And the teacher tried to develop a a chemistry course. So he invited someone in to talk to the students for a couple of days, actually, and help set up a laboratory. And I was so lucky to work with this man to set up the laboratory. And his name is Linus Pauling. That was really what boosted, uh, you know, my, my intent to just continue uh, along these lines. I've also been always highly motivated, and I, I can't help that. I mean, uh, Jim Watson, I mean, it's due to my genes. Uh, I'm Italian, my father was the same way, my dad was not educated formally, never went to school. But what he could do with his hands as a Finnish carpenter is truly amazing. And in those days, there were no electric tools, no nothing. He could make a perfect circle with his thumb and a pencil like this. He could make straight lines. He would use strings to make straight lines. I mean, he did things that were, I thought, unbelievable. And uh, that, that's got to be genetic. So I think that kind of brushed over onto me. The one thing I did learn, and you heard from, from, from Bob about this as well, is that it's very important in life, no matter what your profession is, never to give up. Basic research can and will always be very frustrating. A very small percentage of the experiments you do uh, will work successfully, or the way you expect them to work. And what I've learned is that there's no instant gratification in basic research it takes years to actually appreciate what what you might have done it takes a very thick skin to do this kind of thing but this is true not only for basic research medical research research in physics or chemistry or whatever this could be true for any any profession of course you'll always meet with failures and you have to you know deal with that and overcome those failures i've learned never to let the frustrations of the moment keep you from stepping into the future. In other words, you must never, never give up. You have to pursue the direction that you think is going to get you to your ultimate goal. And that's very important for everyone to remember here, especially the delegates. So I think I'm going to stop here. And I want to thank you so much for your attention. It's been great.